had a little late start. You're doing all right, though? Join the, join the, the snow. It's pretty. It's pretty outside. Turn to the per person next to you and tell them good morning. Tell them it's good to see you this morning. And you look radiant. Let us all stand as we worship this morning. As we approach this season, we have much to be thankful for. And we can enter his gates with thanksgiving, and we have much to praise our God for. So let us. Let's sing one more line or two. I love to tell the story. T'will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. We know the big story, don't we? The 66 books of the sacred canon, Genesis through Revelation, we know the big story. And early in our Christian lives, and early in our church lives, and probably early in our family lives, we began to learn about the big story. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, boy, that's a loaded word, that's a big word, whosoever, believeth on him, should not perish, but should have everlasting life. And within those 66 books of the sacred canon, there are lots of sub-stories. But you know, the big story is really pretty simple, is it not? God created the heavens and the earth. And God created humankind. And humankind disobeyed. And really the rest of the book tells the story of how God restored or provided a, a, a means of restoration, of redemption, for his creation to be restored to him. 66 books summed up in a line or two or three. But this morning, I'm not really going to talk to you about the big story. I'm going to talk with you about my story, and each of you has one, that goes back to the big story. We call it a testimony. Last year in uh, January, I think it was in student chapel, I gave my testimony and a few people said, well you need to do that in family chapel, you need to tell your story. In fact, each of us needs to tell our story to keep in practice. <laughs> how, do you, how do you practice, how do you learn to play the piano or how do you sustain your gifts? You practice. So we need to practice telling our story. It's a living story. I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. Now in the Church of the Nazarene and a lot of other evangelical churches, we call telling our story, at least when we do it in church, sometimes we call it a testimony. Remember those? Remember the testimony meeting? That was generally a part of Wednesday night prayer meeting? Sometimes pastors who had not prepared well enough for prayer meeting, they just hoped that the testimonies would just keep coming. And I even had a few pastors who learned how to keep it going, you know. The testimony meeting, when people, the people of God, would stand to their feet and give an account. Now, Jonathan doesn't have any clue what I'm talking about here, but that's okay. That's all right. I used to testify, when I became a Christian, I used to testify a lot because in our little church, it was easier to testify than to be 
suspected of not having a testimony. And you didn't want certain people in the church to be turned loose on you, thinking that you weren't up to date. These terms, are these terms coming back up to date in your testimony? Well, because in that church, it seemed like every Wednesday night, everybody testified. Stood up and said something, and if you didn't, they looked at you. In John's revelation, we read the words, and they overcame him, Satan, by what? The blood of the lamb and the words of their testimony. Remember that. They overcame the evil one by the words of their testimony. Now, I did not grow up in a Christian home. How many of you did? How many of you grew up in a good Christian home where, yeah, most of you did. I did not. My father was killed in an accident when I was two, and my mother had a bunch of little boys to take care of, and we sort of went to live with her mom, my grandmother. Now, my grandmother was a wonderful woman, and I think a Christian woman, but she didn't have a lot of use for organized religion. She, she was too caught up on the hypocrites. You know what I'm talking about. But she had an opinion about every church in town. And I can remember as a little boy in the back seat going down Main Street, she was driving, and we'd pass the Baptist church and the Methodist church and the Episcopal church, Presbyterian church, right on. And she had a comment, a one-liner about each of them. The Baptist, look at him, smoking on the steps. The Methodist church, look at him, gossiping. I mean, she had a one-line pithy statement that in her mind summed up what was going on in that church. Now, occasionally as I was growing up, I went to a vacation Bible school that somebody would invite me to, or I would occasionally go to Sunday school because, you know, I, I wanted to. I wanted to be with my, with my friends, but that was really the extent of my exposure to the church. I did learn John 3.16. I learned the 23rd Psalm. And I learned the Lord's Prayer, and I learned the, some of those basics as I was moving along, but not in any kind of, of an intentional way. Well, by the time I was a junior in high school, I had a plan. I like to have plans. And I had a plan. A group of, of my friends, we were going to finish high school the next year in a blaze and head off to the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, and we were going to have the times of our lives while we were going to get a good education. Well, that, that whole plan was very short-lived. Have you ever had plans that were short-lived for whatever reason? Well, that plan was short-lived because it was just shortly after that moment of, of, of decision that a cousin of mine invited me to go to a young people's meeting with her. That's what she called it, a young, young people's meeting. That's really old terminology, Jonathan. Uh, at, the, at a church that she had started attending a few months earlier. So I didn't have anything better on that Sunday night to do, so I went with her, and we pulled up in front of what was not a church, but it was the funeral home, the Jones Funeral Home in our hometown, and she said, this is where the young people's meeting is going to be held. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, this is, this is the Church of the Nazarene, and they don't have a building yet, but they're getting ready to build one, and right now they're just worshiping temporarily in the chapel of the funeral home. Now, Cody, that really is inspirational, when you have to go to the funeral home to get inspired and go to the young people's meeting. But I went in with her, and I met a very wonderful group, a small group, maybe 25 people, 
who were showing up on Sunday night. And you know, it was interesting, all of those old folk came to the young people's meeting <laughs> and sort of sat in the back and watched and cheered us on. You know, we'd have Bible quizzes and we'd have name that tune and we'd do all of these little skits that required 15 characters and we only had three teenagers so we each had five parts. Uh, but you understand. But those people immediately showed me love and concern. This little church, a home mission church they called it, was pastored by a fine young pastor and his wife who a few years earlier had come from just having graduated from Nazarene Theological Seminary to pastor the church and they had told the superintendent that they would stay long enough to get a church building built and a church established. Now be careful what you say. Because I have a hunch they had no idea that it was going to take nine years. First pastorate, right out of seminary, but they made a commitment and they stuck to it. Well, I found out that during those years, that young pastor and his wife got calls to many well-established churches on that district. But they said, no, we're going to hang in here in Winchester, Virginia, and we're going to build a church. Well... It was on the third Sunday night. Guess what? I went back the next Sunday night. And then the third Sunday night, I went back. And it was October. And that young pastor preached a very simple gospel message. And on the second verse of where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him all the way. I went forward to this little nothing like this. I mean a makeshift altar. They had actually turned some chairs around, I think, to make an altar. I went forward because I felt a tug in my heart to accept Christ as my personal Savior. I was kneeling, and there was a little boy kneeling over here. And in that church, I don't know if it were true in your church, but everybody came down to pray with you, to pray you through. Boy, I had no idea what through meant. Sister Myrtle Miller picked me and Sister Miller came down and got right down beside me. Now, there was one thing that I had always noticed up to that point about Sister Miller. She thought God was death. I had already determined that, the way she testified. And she was praying up a storm in my ear. Lord this and Lord that, save this young man, and then finally, save him, Lord, and send him to Africa. Africa? That sounded like a long way from Winchester, Virginia. I had no clue what she was talking about. Fortunately for me, that young pastor explained to me as he took me home that night that that fine Christian woman was praying for, at least from her perspective, God's best for me. And to her, best meant, guess what? Missionary. That was the highest call. And nothing could be higher in that call than to go to deep, dark, Africa. In her mind, that was it. By the way, I mentioned that there was another seeker at the altar, that six-year-old boy over here. Well, in those days, and I'll tell you about him in just a bit, in those days, you know, you had to stand up and give a testimony right then and there about what the Lord had done in your life. My testimony was less than spectacular. I just stood up and said what I had heard other people say, the Lord has saved me, I want to go all the way with him, or something like that. Well, little Jimmy stood up, 
and said, the Lord has saved me and has called me to be a medical missionary. Boy, he upstaged me big time. And I thought, send him to Africa, not me. Well, from that night on, that night on, those people loved me. Unconditionally, they loved me. That pastor and his wife would show up at the high school when I was in a play or doing this or that. They were on the front row cheering me on. They drove four of us teenagers, the only four teenagers in that church, 650 miles to Nashville, Tennessee to visit the Nazarene College that in those days the Virginia district supported. They said and they preached and they believed that the only option for a Nazarene young person was a Nazarene college. And I think maybe I've told some of you, I believe that Helen Ratcliffe, the pastor's wife, filled out the app for us on the way back to Virginia. She wrote the app. I never filled out an app to go to college. And if there were an application fee, I suspect they paid it. I'm convinced that the direction that my life has taken was a direct result of the caring of those wonderful people in that small home mission church of the Nazarene who found and thought and believed something about us that we didn't believe about ourselves. Now, I went to that Nazarene college and of course there I met Marla and you know how it goes. The rest of it just kept on going, going, going. It was also there that I really became impressed with the lives of the faculty and the staff who dedicated themselves to young people just like me. And it was then, those early, early days, that I felt God's pull and tug to prepare to do what they were doing. It reminded me a little bit of Robert Frost's poem, when he wrote, two roads diverged in a wood. I took the one less traveled by. I didn't go to William and Mary. I didn't go to Williamsburg. I went to that Nazarene college and that has made all the difference. By the way, you remember that I mentioned that there was another seeker, little Jimmy at the altar that night. Well, he happened to be the preacher's younger son. And as I told you, he stood up and testified that the Lord had called him to be a medical missionary. Now we're talking funeral home church, folks. We're talking 25 people, maybe. We're talking a teenager here, a kid there, Myrtle Miller praying up, her, up a storm for me to go to Africa, and somebody praying for this little boy to become a Christian. And so he stood up, and when he gave that testimony, I can still hear the voice of Sister Miller saying, God, make it so. She just talked out loud anytime she wanted. She had that prerogative. Imagine the emotion that I felt years later when I was watching the Today Show and the person doing the interview that morning happened to be in Papua New Guinea interviewing missionaries doing a particular kind of work at a hospital there in Papua New Guinea and on the screen flashing in front of me was little Jimmy, now Dr. James Radcliffe, director of medical missions in Papua New Guinea for the Church of the Nazarene, a skilled surgeon who felt the tug of God on his life that night 
in a very unlikely place. Isn't it interesting, folks, where God shows up, when and where he shows up, when we least expect? Isn't that what we're about here at NBC? Aren't we preparing the Dave and Helen Radcliffe's to pastor those funeral home, home mission churches, to touch lives of teenagers and kids and moms and dads and granddads and Isn't that what this institution is really all about? And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I am convinced today that I am a debtor. I am a debtor to give the gospel in the same measure that I have received the gospel. Now how we do that, how you do that, is probably not how I do it. But we need to do it. We need to remember that we are debtors, personally as well as organizationally. My call to Nazarene Bible College really began when I was 15 years old. And I said yes to the Lord and opened my life for service to him in whatever avenue he might indeed have for me. Let us remember our stories. You have one. You have a story. Are you timid about telling your story? We're coming soon. Can you believe it? It's November, and Advent will be here before we know it. See, I've already skipped Thanksgiving. I'm moving toward Advent. Well, what's Advent? The coming of the Messiah. The coming of our Savior. What better Christmas gift can we give our friends and family than to tell the story? The old, old story of Jesus and his love. Commit with, commit with me today. I, I don't want to be corny. I am corny, but I don't want to be corny. But commit with me today that during this season, November, December, that we will be intentional about finding a way and praying the prayer, because be careful what you pray for. Praying the prayer, Lord, Give me opportunities. Make me sensitive to opportunities to tell the story of Jesus and how Jesus has changed my life during this Advent season. Will you do that? And then we'll get together in January and compare stories. I prayed that prayer once when I was getting on an airplane. Lord, put me beside somebody today that I can... I didn't want to do that, really. And lo and behold, he answered the prayer. I didn't get to read a magazine. I had to talk to this person. And it turned out to be a wonderful, wonderful exchange. Let's sing it again. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Mal, would you stand and pray for us? Amen. Be careful going home or back home to your work, whatever, wherever you're going, just be careful.